Hello and welcome. It's the chat. I am Manny. My guest on the program is so remarkable. He could have been referred to as King of the Air, but he's well known to be King of the Roads. Ositea Benjamin Chidoka is a business management professional, a strategic communicator, a public policy advocate, a public affairs analyst, a former core marshal of the Federal Road Safety Commission, and former Minister of Aviation. Born in the early 70s, Osita attended Union Secondary School in Enugu. He pursued a degree in business management at the University of Nigeria, where he was active in the student union government. He holds a Master's of Public Policy degree from the prestigious School of Public Policy at George Mason University in the United States of America. He is also a certified global strategist and political economist from Oxford University, United Kingdom and holds a graduate diploma in maritime and port management from the National University of Singapore. Upon graduation from the university, his National Youth Service posting was to the Federal Capital Territory, where he earned many awards and automatic employment into the Federal Capital Development Authority in Abuja. During this time, he served as the secretary to the National Committee during the visit of Pope John Paul II to Nigeria in 1998. He was a member of the Committee for the Review of the Abuja Master Plan and the Committee for the 1999 Military to Civilian Transition. He was at various times personal assistant to the Minister of Transport, Chief Ojo Madwekwe, before leaving the public sector. He moved into the private sector and worked at ExxonMobil, where he served as senior advisor on government and business relations. In 2007, the former president Olusegun Obasanjo appointed him the core marshal and chief executive officer of the Federal Road Safety Commission. For his contribution to national development, he was conferred the national honor of the officer of the Federal Republic, OFR, in 2011 by former president Goodluck Jonathan. Also in his hometown Obosi, he holds the traditional title of Ike Obosi, which translates to Strength of Obosi. In 2014, he was appointed Minister of Aviation and left office in 2015. In a bid to represent his people in a higher capacity, he felt the need to contest for the governorship position of Anambra State, but lost in 2017. Unflustered, he recently backed a law degree from Bayes University in Abuja. Osita Chidoka continues to lend his professional services in national development projects after years of crisscrossing both the public and private sectors. He is married with children. Welcome to the program, Osita. How are you? I'm very well. I'm not used to your new look. <laughs> not only you. Well, I was, I, was, I was just talking about you being a very remarkable person that I've met. You know, I mean, what kind of background do you come from? I mean, was it like um, a lowly background? What, who were your I would say middle class. I say middle class. My parents um, traveled widely. Um, bought me books very early in life. Um, when I was in secondary school, I had pocket money for buying newspapers. So I read The Guardian every day in secondary school. At the university, I had pocket money to buy um, Time Magazine and Newsweek. So I, and I bought Guardian daily. 
So my roommates, the guys you met with me, everybody came to my room in the university to read newspapers. Oh, you were the rich yes, one. Yes, I was the person who had... <laughs> I, I don't know if he was the rich, but my father prioritized okay. reading. Yeah. So whenever he went abroad, um, one of the books I have in my library today is The Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie. Salman Rushdie. He bought, he bought the first copy of it that came out in London. He stood on a queue from 4 a.m. till when the bookshop opened to buy the book, because it was all in the news about the book. So that's how he prioritized reading. And that made me to read. So the moment I figured out the transport link, I said to myself, let me go and study transportation so that when people order online, I will be available to deliver for them. <laughs> that's the only reason why I then took up the call. Then your journey began. Then my journey your began. Your journey began perhaps in... I would say I joined the public service in 1996, fresh right. from youth service. Right, okay. I was an NYC award winner. Yes. So I got automatic employment. So, and then I moved from there. Uh, in '97, I became a personal assistant to a minister in the Ministry of Works and Housing, a Minister of State. Um, so, 1998, General Bacha died. I came back to DFCT. I worked with General Contagora and General and um, Alaji Bunu, who worked oh, briefly so as minister. I was the protocol. Capacity. I was a protocol officer, right, um, okay. speechwriter. I, I took on that role. Um, because I had a, a particular flair for writing, so. But it was a, it was a Basanjo apparently that spotted you. Wasn't yes, it? yes, that brought me to the National Limelight. Yeah. Um, we had a meeting with him once through uh, Governor Nasir Rufai, who took me. He was then FCT minister. Mm -hmm. He took me to see President Obasanjo, and um, that started off a new relationship with me that ended up with my appointment as co-marshal. Okay, and ended up with that statement, OC of the Federal Republic. Republic. <laughs> he must have done well, you know, uh, for you to get that kind of accolade from yes. a person like Erufai. Yes, the sitter of the Federal Republic. And when I got the OFR, so Italian, OFR was my, I got the national honors of OFR. Yeah. So Nasiru said he was Osita of the Federal Republic. So he has now confirmed okay. what he used to say uh, anecdotally and uh, now became Osita Chidaka OFR, so ah, Osita of the Federal Republic. <laughs> interesting. The road safety that you uh, managed from 1999 till... No, no, from 2007. From 2007, beg your pardon, till you retired. Yes, till 2014, when okay. I became minister. When you became minister of uh, aviation. Uh, aviation, right. I mean, you reformed that agency, didn't you? I will say that um, because um, just like I thought of the role of transportation in the new economy, that was how I saw my role at the FRC. What did you find in the FRC? When I took over? Yes. Hmm. When I took over, I found the, an organization that lived in its past glories, um, that has lost its direction. Um, that didn't understand the what changing did you say environment. Lived in his past glory. Yes. Who was your? Yeah, because when he started with Professor Wolesho Inka and yes. Ulu Agunloye, yeah. it was a very successful organization. Yeah, was it? He recruited young, bright people from camp, from youth service, um, merit driven recruitment. Those are still the finest guys in FRSE. And they, they impacted on the psyche of the nation when they were driving around, slowing down cars, enforcing speed limits, 
um, driving on the expressway and the cars will be behind them reducing speed on our highways. Was that happening? Yes, it was happening in Nigeria, yes. Yeah. yes. So was quite a, uh, an exemplary organization. Even the founding of FRSC was something that I kept asking General Bangida, how did you get the idea to start an organization like that? Because it was not just a unique organization, um, but it was something that um, redefined how Nigerians uh, engage with the roads and how government saw its role in managing the roads. Um, so, but by the time I took over the Federal Road Safety Commission, um, is one of those things that happen in Nigeria. Great ideas come and then they become institutionalized and then the organizations become an end in itself and almost forgetting its mission and vision. So, what I did was to um, present a transformation plan to return it to its core mandates and to align it with global trends. So uh, we set new vision, we had new mission, and then we decided to, um, let me put it this way, we, we decided to remake the organization in line with modern um, trajectory. So we went digital, you know, we computerized the organization from no computers at all to having all the 450 um, commands. Um, we had offices in the 36 states, six zonal offices. Then we had offices in the local government. Then we had driver's license centers. I connected all with VSATs. So they all became online in real time. So we started reporting accidents in real time and then that allowed me to see daily accident reports and not yearly as it used to be. This was not in place before? No, it used to be annual reports that we published mm -hmm. and there was a quarterly report that the call marshal would see, but I started seeing daily reports. You had collecting this military approach about your, your job as call marshal, mm -hmm. you know, of uh, the road safety, uh, and it continued. W was it something you put down in the constitution or something? No, no, no. FRSC was a paramilitary organization. So when I took it over, I first spent time with the military in training. Um, it was an interesting time. They made me wear my uniform, stand at attention, did parades uniform. and all that. Um, it was at the, the Abacha barracks. I spent two weeks and, you know, passed out from the military training. And you felt um, good about it? Yes, I felt good about it. And I learned a lot from the Nigerian Army. It's one organization I envied, uh, you know, um, because they have systems, they have processes. Uh, the army in Nigeria, whatever anybody may say, is one of our most process-driven organizations. So what did you find most challenging as a call marshal with the road safety at the time? Managing people. Um, I was coming from ExxonMobil. From, uh, from my master's in the U.S., working for ExxonMobil. So I was used to a certain level of people in terms of quality and education and capabilities. And here was I thrown into a government agency with people, many of them not operating at the level I was used to. So I had to figure out how to come down from my high horse <laughs> and listen to them because I was actually trained by FRSC officers. Uh, I figured that they knew what they were doing, but they may not have the conceptual coherence to explain it. 
but they knew the nitty-gritty of the job. So my Tuesday management meetings became a training meeting for me. Just listening to the staff talking about what they have done in the past. So some of the ideas, innovations I brought just came from listening to them. In listening to them, I started saying, okay, we can automate this process. We can do this better with technology. We can do that better like this. But the basic training, the basic um, running of the organization came from me learning from the officers of Federal Road Safety Corps. And one of the things I think is my defining moment was building an organization where everybody felt included. So there was no ethnic issues when I was called Marshal. Everybody just knew what the deal was. If you delivered for me on assignments, you know, you, you, you move up. You did not have challenges working with people older than you. It was um, a little challenging at the beginning, but they got used to it very quickly because I had what I call um, knowledge advantage. Yes. So when they dealt with me and found out that, okay, this is not just a young man from the streets. He knows what he's doing. He has clarity on his thoughts. And I was ready to you know, kick everybody in line. I kicked a few in line who said they were, uh, who formed like an opposition to me. Um, I got them, I straightened them out. And um, you know, in a short while, everybody knew that I could um, <laughs> kick the backside as, long, as much as I could give a handshake. Mm -hmm. So that kind of settled us out within the first one year. Did anyone think of you as being arrogant at the time you were called Marshall, or did a set of people oppose some of your ideas? Yeah, they opposed, but I had a, um, I had a slogan, in God we trust, all others must provide evidence. Mm. So if you want me to do what you're saying, just show me the evidence, mm -hmm. show me the numbers. I was data-driven. Mm -hmm. So initially there was a few issues when I came newly. Oh, he's producing exams because he didn't want a certain section of the country to be promoted, or he didn't want this to happen. But what I just said the, to what them- What was the reason why you introduced the exams? Because I wanted the best and the brightest to come up. Okay. I didn't want people to come up because they knew their way around or because they had access to people. Was it smooth so, sailing for Oh, it was tough, but we pushed it through. And the officers get, began to enjoy it when they knew that it was, an, it was a fair and open process. So even me, as co marshal could not intervene in the process. They saw it. They saw that even people that were close to me, officers that were working in my office who failed promotion exams, were not promoted. So everybody began to say, okay, this is for real. So one thing I've learned about Nigerians is that you know, once you're an honest broker, once the rules are clear and people understand that nobody went behind to get an advantage, people tend to queue up. What did you do about driver's license? So we reformed it fully and the process was contractor financed. So we opened the bid, we got Pricewaterhouse, looked around the world, saw people who had new technologies in driver's license, and gave them a contract. But you it know, still didn't we work after you. you left. No, it was it's still working till today, very well. It's working very well. Okay. You can go online. If you were online now, you could check out your driver's license. You could see all your details. I thought there are news of you know a change again in the driver's license. No, no, there's no change. You introduced the biometric yes, the type. The biometric type, and yeah. it's still there. Okay. Because it's a ten million ten years contract. It was a ten million dollar ten year contract. So they built up all the equipment and they got paid per license issued. So every time a license was issued, they got paid. Did you, did you achieve all the goals you set out, you know, as a call marshal of the road safety 
before you moved over to aviation? I achieved all but one. So I achieved all the critical goals. They were written. Every year we wrote down what we were going to do. And we published it on the website. So, and we tracked ourselves. You could see those that are ongoing, those that were not done, those that were done. You know, we had a tracking method. Um, but the one thing that I wasn't able to do was what I call the um, building the resilience into the organization, making the organization resilient. Um, we had done all this process improvement. We had done all this, um, you know, what I would call human technology, people process, you know, the upgrade. But I hadn't tested the resilience of the system. It was supposed to be my last year. 2015 was the year of resilience to test what will happen if this system has a failure. If one thing doesn't work, how would the system recover from it? So that is the only thing I didn't get to do before I left. Um, 2013 was the year we went fully digital. So we called it our defining year. 2014 was the year we focused on our international relationships and also getting partners involved in road safety. So we got a World Bank um, grant of 10 million US dollars to improve um, road safety in Nigeria. And um, we started training our officers abroad. We sent people to California Highway Patrol. We sent people to France for training. And the idea was that in 2014-15, we're going to test the resilience. Because we then become an ISO 9001 certified organization. The first law enforcement agency in Africa to get ISO certified was FRS in Nigeria. We had ISO 9001 certification. So my next, last goal was the year of resilience. Testing how the organization will survive. Should this fail? Should this process fail or that fail? Um, I didn't get to do that, but is every it, other thing it, I set out to do. No, no, no. Uh, my processors continued, but I can't. Um, I couldn't tell when I was leaving how far the changes had been ingrained in the DNA of the organization due to the absence of that test. But in all, looking back seven years now, um, I must say that yes, they've been recertified. ISO 9001 recertified. Um, they've continued to maintain. You know, top performance in their digital platforms. Um, FRSC has continued to be renowned in government circles for you know um, fundamental process improvements. There have been so, a lot of changes uh, since you left. Uh, there's a radio station now. Radio station now. The, yes, the innovation yeah, continues. Yes. Was it part of your idea? Yes. Or was um, it came from this commercial. We had an idea to. Uh, we thought about it at then, but I didn't think it was. Um, key to the things I was doing, so this was purely his idea. How did you feel leaving the FRC at the time you left to the aviation sector? I mean, it's like moving from the grounds to, to, the, uh, to, to, to the top. Um, well, I liked the idea that was being promoted and that the work I did was recognized by all and that the president looked forward to me in his words to do to aviation what he saw me, what he saw I had done to f road safety. So he, he, he gave me that charge. So that was um, a welcome Did idea to me. Did you think you could do it? Or you just saw it as a challenge you wanted to embark on uh, moving from road safety to aviation? Yes, I, I mean, I, I was, I studied transport, all modes of transport, so I knew I could do it. 
and I knew I had the managerial skills. And did you but, do it? Yes, um, I spent only just one year in yeah, aviation. Well, that's so yeah, wondering. Yeah. So the idea was that if the president had come a second term, I would have had time to, because I told him, you know, road safety took Our me seven years. Our aviation industry is suffering the most. Wouldn't you say that? Well, um, I would not like to comment on um, the activities of my successors, but I will say that yes, aviation and every other most of the transport modes need fundamental rethinking. Okay, now when you finish that arm of your job, the next thing is that you went into politics, didn't you? Yes, I did. Why? It was my first love. Really? From student days, I've been an active. I was in well, apparently, you were in the students' union students uh, leadership. I was deputy senior prefect in secondary school, so I've always been involved in leadership activities. So, politics was my first love. But you didn't succeed. You I've been a governor, be governor. But, I've, yeah, but I've remained a politician. What do you think made you unsuccessful in your first attempt? Um, for the 2017 governorship election in, An in Anambra, um, one is that politics is a game of name recognition platform and um, a combination of the person and the platform. So I didn't have a great platform. I didn't have a good platform because I didn't like the way the PDP primaries went uh, or was going, so I left to UPP. And then secondly, I wasn't as known as I am today in Anambra. I was known amongst the road sector. I was known nationally by those elites. But the people in Anambra, you know, didn't know me. You didn't go back home, yes. did you? Yeah. I used to go back home. I was Ike Obosi. I used to go well, back. Well, I mean, Ike Obosi yes. came yes. after all of you had, you had achieved. In it was in 2009. Safety. No, it was early in my time in road safety. Really? It was a traditional title. It wasn't a chieftaincy title. Okay. It was a traditional title. I'm so representing I, my family. I you now? <laughs> no, Ike. Ike? Okay. Yes, Ike. Okay. So, um... So I wasn't known in Anambra, and just like Professor Soludo, who had just won the governorship, the people have come to know him. He has run before, ran again, didn't work. Then he waited, you know, all these years. And inherent in the behavior of the Igbo man is the respect for zoning and fairness. Zoning for the Igbo man is an attribute of fairness. This zone has gone. My, I'm from the central zone. P2B was from the central, Ngige was, is from the central. So after P2B, the governorship went north to Obiano. And a number of people felt we should allow the people in the north to do eight years, after which it should go south. Soludo was in a poor vote position. I mean, nobody was more known, nobody was more acceptable than. And you had already spent after. a lot of money yes, in and the time. campaign in yes. 2017. And continued to. Appear to be yes. empty. More than empty, because <laughs> <laughs> politics is in Nigeria is an expensive game that um, um, people expect you to do all the spending. What, what do you think yes. about the outcome of the Anambra elections recently? How did it, you know, go with you? Do you think it was smoothly run? Do you think uh, there are encumbrances here and there? There what, may have been there may have been issues, but I think it generally reflected the will of the Anambra. And um, I wish Governor-elect Saludo success in his job as governor. 
But there are one or two people who are opposing the outcome mm. of the election. There will, always, there will always be. But for me, I think the election is a fair representation, fair reflection of the views of a number of people. Having the president of a country in medical treatments abroad really has something to do with our national image. It has to do with our national psyche. And just imagine the Iranian president in a U.S. hospital. That's not possible. Because Iran has produced top scientists and engineers and everything. They have it in Iran. So I would like to see a Nigerian president that sees it as a matter of national pride. That no matter what it will cost us, no matter what it will be the cost on us, our governors and presidents are getting their treatment in Nigeria. The chat is produced by Channels Television. You can watch it again online. Just visit our social media platforms, YouTube, Facebook.